Play the movie. Yeah, play. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Milk Movies Podcast. I say this, knocking on wood, I think movie news is just good from here on out. I really don't want to jinx myself, but I think, I mean, I'm obviously going to have to talk about some negative news with the delays in production and the delays in releases and whatnot before everything kind of goes away and we're able to at least just get back to the movie theater. But I think, and again, I hope, movie news can just be news now. I think I can just talk about something exciting or, you know, just things that are good for the foreseeable future. I feel like we're so far in the thick of things now with just negative news, and I know that everyone's talking about, you know, the new normal. I think I can really just supplement some stuff now with good news. I'm going to get into that in a minute, but let's just kick it off with uh, Camille Nanjiani announcing that The Lovebirds will be hitting Netflix on May 22nd. It was announced a while ago that the movie would get delayed. It was obviously one of the first movies to announce that it would be uh, delayed. Um, they eventually pulled their theatrical release and uh, announced that it would be going to Netflix. Now we just have the official date on May 22nd. Uh, the movie is really short. It's just uh, 86 minutes or an hour and 26 minutes. Um, that's not a good or bad thing, but, you know, it's just it's a short movie. Hopefully it's just a short movie filled with a lot of laughs. Uh, but we will see that in about a month now on Netflix, May 22nd. Uh, next up, just a few days after that, May 22nd is a Friday. May 27th is a Wednesday. That's the day that HBO Max is launching. They announced that last week. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why a Wednesday. I don't know if that's just a thing and I'm not aware of it. But again, HBO Max on a Wednesday. It's going to have old content and new. In a sense, I think it's going to have um, everything that regular HBO has. And if you have HBO Now, there's HBO, there's HBO Now, and there's HBO Go. HBO Now, if you have that, you will be automatically receiving HBO Max. Uh, so you don't have to worry about that there. Otherwise, it costs $14.99 a month. I just can't say that I see the point of this service. I totally trust HBO with all of the content that they put out. I feel like there's something for everybody on there, and I know that I think a big draw with this is that it's going to have a wider array of content for a wider array of types of people. And what I mean by that is obviously uh, the regular HBO that we have now and that we're familiar with has a lot of, in short, I'll just say adult content. Um, some of it's obviously very funny or serious or fantastical. Whatever the content is, it's typically just meant for adults. Um they're going to have a lot more kid stuff on HBO Max. I would tend to think that that's the biggest thing with it. It's already either viewed as an additional channel that you have to put on with your, you know, your regular cable bill or just mix it in with your other streaming services or whatever. So it's already an exclusive uh, platform. We'll see. I I don't want to say that it's silly, but I just... Uh, we'll see. I don't know. We're a month away from it now. I don't think that I'm going to be getting it at launch myself, but... We'll see. If you're more interested in it, you're more than welcome to look more into it and see what it has to offer. But again, HBO Max available on May 27th for $14.99 a month. Uh, otherwise, I'm just going to fly through these delays. Again, the delays are inevitable. We already know that it's a thing. These are just some big ones, and I'm just going to announce pretty much the movie and when it's moving to. Warner Brothers announced that The Batman will be delayed until October 1st, 2021. It was originally set to release in the summer of next year. Uh, that is 
the case for the Batman, while The Flash will now release June 3rd, 2022, and Shazam 2 will release on November 4th, 2022. Uh, the Venom sequel was supposed to release this fall. It was supposed to release after Morbius. Then Morbius got delayed until after Venom. And now Venom is again being pushed back until after Morbius. Venom also receives an official title. It is not just Venom 2. It is Venom, Let There Be Carnage. We kind of already knew that Carnage was going to be in it, but this is obviously the official official Carnage will be in this movie announcement. So uh, we'll be getting Venom in June of next year. Um, with that, all other MCU movies, you know, the official or real MCU movies, not the Sony crossovers, all other MCU movies, MCU movies, I should say, they just have release changes. We're not getting Black Widow until November of this year, so there's really nothing crazy to note until we actually get that movie, because that's going to be the first one in this whole Phase 4 launch that's going to matter, obviously with a Disney Plus series that we're getting later uh, this year too. Uh, that'll have um, just a big tie-in to everything. So it's, we're just a few months away from the MCU really being back. So nothing really else to note with that. In the Heights, uh, the director, Lin-Manuel Miranda, announced about a month ago that the movie would be delayed. It is just now official that it has been delayed until next summer, June 18th, 2021, to be exact. I don't know what it is with these movies delaying an entire year. Obviously... Uh, different seasons have different effects at the box office. I guess Lin-Manuel Miranda really just wants this to be a summer movie. If you have seen the trailer, I've posted it myself. It definitely looks like a summery movie, so I totally get that, but it is still a year that you're just going to have this project sitting around. But either way, In the Heights, June 18th, 2021, Mission Impossible 7 and Mission Impossible 8 are both delayed, but only by a few months. They'll still keep their 2021 and 2022 release years. So, again, we're a ways away from that. We'll see how that goes. Um, otherwise, let's get into, I guess, some more exciting news, some maybe breaking news. A prequel to The Hunger Games is in the works with Francis Lawrence set to return as the director. He was the director uh, behind the other four, The Hunger Game movies. The prequel... Uh, will be an adaptation from Suzanne Collins' upcoming novel, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. The book hasn't come out yet. Don't really know what to say about it. Just know that we got more of the Hunger Games universe coming back. So if you're a fan of the Hunger Games, that's something to look forward to. No more information as to when that's going to happen. Obviously, the book is yet to come out. I wouldn't be surprised if they do like a two-in-one where they kind of both come out around the same time and Suzanne Collins just kind of keeps Francis Lawrence in the loop as to how... Uh, they want the movie to go. So that's something to look forward to. Again, probably well down the road there. Scoob. Scoob is the animated Scooby-Doo and, you know, the, the mystery machine, all those gang, the gang, I should say. Scoob will head straight to video on demand for purchase or rent on May 15th. That is two weeks before Artemis Fowl will be available on Disney+. Plus. So those are a couple of kids' movies that we're getting um, about two, three weeks now, maybe more like a month. Um, so I guess that's something to look forward to. That'll be more new content. Um, uh, otherwise, still streaming news. Big news. I'm recording this on Sunday. I'm very excited to say that Netflix has acquired the rights to Enola Holmes. Enola Holmes will tell the story of Sherlock and Mycroft Holmes' rebellious teen sister, Enola. And I love 
the cast for this. I don't know if this is going to be a movie or a TV show. I would be blown away if this was a TV show. Has to be a movie. Enola will be played by Millie Bobby Brown. Sherlock Holmes will be played by Henry Cavill. Mycroft Holmes will be played by Sam Claffin. And Mrs. Holmes will be played by Helena Bonham Carter. I don't know anything more about this news. Again, it just broke a little while ago. I'm very look much looking forward to this. I Again, I'm assuming that it's going to be a movie, but that's going to be great. If it's anything like the Sherlock Holmes movies that we got with Robert Downey Jr., um, it should be awesome. It's a great cast. You kind of always got to love a Sherlock Holmes feel to something. And again, as long as it's got the production quality and story quality that the, the Robert Downey Jr. movies had, very much looking forward to that. Uh, finally, last little bit of movie news here. Um, Olivia Wilde, the director of Booksmart, that's where she made her directorial debut. Her next movie that she is set to direct is a psychological thriller entitled Don't Worry, Darling. The reason I'm looking forward to this movie is because Olivia Wilde did an incredible job with Booksmart. If it's a psychological thriller, that's got to be good, especially with her at the helm. Better yet, it's starring Florence Pugh, Shia LaBeouf, and Chris Pine. Again, that's Don't Worry, Darling, directed by Olivia Wilde, and this has to be a great movie. Again, similar to the Enola Holmes series, I don't know what to expect from this. I don't know when it's going to be coming out. I don't really know what plans are in the works yet, but that alone is very exciting. Again, Olivia Wilde, Don't Worry, Darling, uh, Florence Pugh, Shia LaBeouf, and Chris Pine. I'm excited. I'm definitely excited for that. Again, no idea what it's about. I don't know anything. I'm just excited. That's a ways away. Let's think about what we're going to be doing next week. Bad Education released this past Saturday on HBO. I had really high hopes for this movie. I did see it over the weekend. It was good. I can't say that it was my favorite watch of the weekend. Um, I, I, I'm going to wait until I actually review the movie for you guys to talk about it more. Still go ahead and watch it. It's worth the watch. But I guess in short, I'm just going to say that once you watch it once, I think you're good. That's that's kind of the way that I took it. Otherwise, I'm going to be talking about The Lighthouse next week. That's my 2019 review. That was Robert Eggers' follow-up to The Witch, the 2015. Uh, I don't know how well it did at the box office, but I know that it's it's been very well received by audiences um, as a very good and very scary, dark movie. Uh, otherwise, The Nice Guys is another movie that's available on HBO super recommend this movie. I believe that came out in 2016. That will be my other rewind for next week. So Bad Education, The Lighthouse, and The Nice Guys. The Nice Guys is the one that I'm very much looking forward to talking about the most. It's a comedy. I don't know that you can talk a ton about a comedy because it's just jokes and the things that you thought are funny. So there's probably going to be some spoilers on that. Otherwise, I don't really know how I could talk about a movie that's just funny. Um, but that's what we got next week. Today, I'm going to be talking about the other movie that released this past weekend, Extraction, starring Chris Hemsworth. Very much enjoyed that movie. I was shocked at how much I really, really enjoyed that movie. It was very solid. That's what I'm going to be kicking off these reviews with. Uh, follow that up with a rewind of Frozen 2 from 2019. And close it out with Murder on the Orient Express. Ah, I That movie, that is the last one I'll talk about. I will definitely get into it in a minute here, but without further ado, let's jump into Extraction. I have to apologize and tip my cap to Netflix on this one, because I was very wrong about this movie and pleasantly surprised. 
with what director Sam Hargrave and the Russo brothers were able to create with Extraction. Extraction is rated R. It was directed by Sam Hargrave, as I've mentioned. It's only categorized as an action movie. It runs an hour and 56 minutes long, and it stars Chris Hemsworth, uh, Siobhan Vikar, and Rudraksh Jiswal. I'm so sorry for butchering those. I, I, there's no way I said those right, but I gave Extraction an 80% full on the milk meter. It lacked the character depth and development that could have taken this movie to the next level, but I still found myself believing the relationship that was built between Chris Hemsworth's character, Tyler Rake, and Ovi. As for the action in Extraction, it so beyond did not disappoint. With 80 stunts credits as a stuntman, stunt coordinator, or something similar, Sam Hargrave has worked with the Marvel Cinematic Universe and other great action projects for years now. Uh, drawing comparisons to the unbelievable action sequences in the John Wick movies, Hargrave was able to flex his stunt coordination muscles by giving us something that felt nuanced from what we've seen recently, all while being supplemented by jaw-dropping execution from Chris Hemsworth. Now, speaking of the John Wick movies, a concern of mine going into the movie came from the early reviews of Extraction claiming unnecessary violence to be the downfall of the movie. As a result, I did my journalistic due diligence and I looked back at the scores of the first three John Wick movies, and they are all at least 20 points higher than what Extraction received. I most definitely think that the John Wick movies deserve their high scores, and I love them just as much as the next guy. But you can't sit here and tell me that Extraction was more violent than the John Wick movies. Do I think the John Wick movies are better than Extraction and the extreme violence serves those movies well? Sure I do. But like I said, you can't be a hypocrite and say the action and violence in Extraction was too much for you to bear when you very clearly enjoy that sort of thing. Anywho, Extraction is simply a very good movie. The best action movie? No. Violent? Yes. Needing a little bit more of a background story for Tyler Rake? Sure. But this movie is very much worth the watch, and closes out with a dark and poetic but also kind of ambiguous ending that makes everything that precedes it that much more enjoyable. I know there are a lot of people that I obviously mentioned that I was able to believe the relationship that Chris Hemsworth's character built with Ovi and, uh, you know, all the other relationships that were in this. A lot of people are having trouble connecting there. That's totally fine. I can totally, totally see that. I just didn't. I think that's why I enjoyed it so much. The action is undeniably fantastic. If you have two hours to kill, I absolutely recommend that you go see Extraction. As the great Al Pacino once said, what a picture. Now I know that was probably the worst Al Pacino impression that you ever heard, but you're not here for that. You're not here to hear me impersonate Al Pacino. You're here to hear me review Frozen 2. Frozen 2 is rated PG. It was directed by Chris Buck and Jennifer Lee. It is categorized as an animation, adventure, and comedy movie. It runs one hour and 43 minutes long, and it stars Kristen Bell, Adina Menzel, Jonathan Groff, and Josh Gad. I gave this movie an 81% fall on the milk meter because I really like this movie. After, I mean, I, I gave the first movie a 79. I definitely kind of regret that. I would say my two regrets so far in my movie grades are Spencer Confidential, which should not have been a 70, and Frozen, the first one, which should not have been a 79. I was obviously kidding about what I said with uh, 
you know, this being, well, what a picture with the Al Pacino line. But this was such an upgrade from the original with a better story, better character traits, better character development, and better songs. I thought Frozen 2 was head and shoulders above what the first Frozen had to offer. Now, using my critiques from the first movie to grade this one, I thought Anna and Elsa's parents were portrayed in a much better light, and giving them a deeper backstory and showing them actually care for their daughters was a great start. And pulling back the curtain into their past, that added to that as well. Elsa, who I could not have cared less for going into this movie, well, she grew on me as well. Constantly poking fun at how she was originally portrayed, it was clear that Frozen 2 was a little more self-aware and knew they had to pull back the reins on her just a little bit. Did she fully redeem herself? Maybe not. Because she didn't seem to understand that Anna is fully competent and capable of everything she sets her mind to. But we'll see how she progresses when the third movie inevitably comes out. Now as for the remaining cast, Anna, Kristoff, Sven, and Olaf. They were all great, as usual. I love those four, and I know that the debate for loving or hating Olaf can get pretty contentious, but I'm not ashamed to say that I like Olaf, and I like Olaf just the way he is. His relationship with Anna? Well, that's not doing anything to change that either. I love those two. I just, I just really like Frozen 2. Like I said with the first Frozen, I would have to think that the majority of people have already seen this movie, so I don't need to say whether or not I recommend it. But you know what? I do indeed recommend Frozen 2. I mentioned it the last time that I hadn't seen this movie, so this time that I saw it was the first time that I saw it. And then the second time that I saw it, that was the second time that I saw it. So I saw this movie twice in like a week. I've been listening to the soundtrack for this movie nonstop too. I know this is going to sound weird to say, having seen this movie twice in like a week and listening to the soundtrack nonstop, but it's still not my favorite animated Disney movie. And I still stand by the fact that there are better adventures to take in the Disney animated universe, princess or no princess. But I like Frozen 2, and I enjoyed my time watching it. If you're going to make a whodunit, and I understand that this is an adaptation from a book, and there were many other movie attempts before it, the most important factor in the movie being successful is keeping the audience guessing until the murderer is revealed. Murder on the Orient Express is PG-13. It was directed by Kenneth Branagh. It is a crime, drama, and mystery movie. It runs an hour and 54 minutes long, and it stars a lot of people. Kenneth Branagh, Penelope Cruz, Willem Dafoe, Daisy Ridley, Judy Dench, Michelle Pfeiffer, Josh Gad, and Johnny Depp. Unfortunately, I was mostly right about who committed the crime within the first five-ish minutes of the person being on camera. Keep in mind, if you're listening to this review, it's because you have seen the movie, you're not going to see it, you just don't care, or you're wild and you're just going to listen to this and then watch the movie, because there are definitely some spoilers in this review. Now, when I said I was mostly right about who committed the crime, I said I was mostly right because I was correct in guessing that the person was involved in the murder, and in this case, they were also in charge of the execution of the murder, but in a definitely totally shocking and not sort of dumb at all turn of events, everybody did it. Now, what sucks most about this movie is that it definitely had something there. Agatha Christie, who wrote the book and was the mastermind behind this story, is famous for creating stories like this and doing so with excellence. 
Although I have never actually read one of her books myself, I trust that her work speaks for itself and that her books are truly memorable. Unfortunately, the on-screen version of this story just wasn't meant to be. Is that Branagh's fault? I can't say for certain, but I definitely did not believe that he was the greatest detective who ever lived, as he proclaimed. Uh, Hercule Poirot, as he calls himself, stupid, they kept, they kept calling him Hercules. I don't know if that's in the book or if they were just doing that as a dumb joke in the movie, but Hercule Poirot uh, is not the best detective in the world. He sucks as a detective. He's not a good detective. And I just, the, the way that he uncovered, you know, the twist and just the crime was not exciting. But when I said there was something there, I did mean that, honestly. Because I think that the idea of everyone being involved in the murder can be executed well, and especially given everyone's motive for being involved in the murder, this story had potential. Again, without having read the book, I don't know if anything played out differently, or if the story was simply told in a different manner, but having correctly guessed who was leading the charge in this murder, and not believing that Hercule Poirot was actually a good detective because he's not, I was just never fully drawn in to the story. Typically, I would only say that I do not recommend a movie if it's a really low score, because remember, a 50 is like the most average movie in the world and something that almost like does nothing for you, so a 49 is like the same. I still can't ask anybody to see this movie. If you love Agatha Christie, and you've actually read the book, so you're just curious about how it plays out on screen, go ahead and give it a whirl. But otherwise, I just don't see the point in seeing this movie. It doesn't completely suck, but I just got nothing from seeing this movie. And as someone who loves, loves a good whodunit, I was far from satisfied after watching Murder on the Orient Express. That's all I have for you guys with reviews, uh, rewinds, and my news. Next week, I'm going to be reviewing the movie that just came out this past weekend on HBO, Bad Education, that stars Hugh Jackman. I will be pairing that with my 2019 review available on Amazon Prime, The Lighthouse. With that, I will also be reviewing or rewinding The Nice Guys from 2016. That is also available on HBO. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Hasta la vista, and have a good week.